The reality of what I had been through was highly uncertain in my mind, but I felt that something hideous lay in the background. I must get away from evil-shadowed Innsmouth, and accordingly I began to test my cramped, weary powers of locomotion. Despite weakness, hunger, horror and bewilderment, I find myself after a long time able to walk, so started slowly along the muddy road to Rowley. Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Great. Much better than last week. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. This this is a weird one, because this is... <laughs> I should have said that at the last episode. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We'll just keep the listeners on their toes. Yeah. And put these out in the reverse order. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm very well as well. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this topic because this is one of these topics that I've wanted to talk about for a while and I think there's a, a lot of meat on the bones so yeah yeah I think this is a, this could spark a lively debate not only between listeners and and fans of the game but also between us yeah 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 so today listener we're going to talk about basic weaknesses and I've wanted to talk about this for quite a while because I think that the impact weaknesses can have on how you play, how you upgrade your deck, uh, all of the things that there's sort of these unexpressed thoughts about the the effect it's having on you, we, we should talk about. So yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. So throughout this, we're going to talk really about what's bad about any particular basic weakness, what punishes you about it. And then we're also going to keep an eye out for particular investigators who might actually like certain weaknesses or those investigators who are really exceptionally hurt by particular weaknesses. Yes, sounds good. Weaknesses are one of the things that really sets this game apart for me from other games. Mm. And it introduces a lot of weird spice to the mix of playing and deck building. You know, so certain rules we take for granted, that drawing cards is always good, don't necessarily apply if you've got weaknesses in your deck. Yeah, do you remember how many caveats we had to provide in our card drawing episode around... All of this, you know, we have to factor in that you might then just draw into something dreadful rather than something else. Yeah, and it, it impacts on the flow of your game where, I mean, this probably applies more to some of the signature weaknesses than the base, random basic ones. You know, if you haven't seen it by a certain point in the game, you then become far more hesitant about drawing cards as it gets harder yeah. to clear the weakness before the end of the game. But the fact that, that the basic weakness is random just adds a little bit of spice to your deck that you can't predict when you're building your deck. And we'll talk about, as we go through, some of them have probably a relatively drastic impact on how you play. Yeah. yeah. And you have no control over that as you're building your deck. It's only when you sit down to play your first game, really, that you see your weakness. And the rules of the game say that you don't have to pick your weakness without knowing what it is. And obviously Indebted anyway made it quite hard for those players who like to grab a weakness off the pile without looking at it and just shuffle it straight into their deck. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with Indebted because it is permanent. So so we, we're normally, when we're talking about weaknesses, assuming we know what they are. But I have played quite a lot not knowing what my weakness is for the first scenario and then being really taken aback when turn two I hit overzealous or <laughs> amnesia and empty my hand or something like that and you think oh if only i'd known so we're approaching this topic with the expectation that we do know and what responses <laughs> we should make well let's dive in yeah let's dive in i i've categorized these 
broadly speaking, as from the easier end of the spectrum, that means the least impactful and the easiest to handle, all the way up to the ones that I think are very difficult and hard to deal with. But within that, it's not really easy, mid and hard, because we've also got to think about enemy basic weaknesses and double action weaknesses, which I've grouped together. The easy part, I would say, is indebted. Right, so you're already causing people to, to splutter and rage when you say indebted yeah. is easier. Yeah, and, uh, that's, and that's the only one I've put in my easy category. So it's permanent, which means it's not in your deck. So everything you said about having bad cards in your deck, you don't have to think about with indebted because it's not in your deck. Yeah. And it has an immediate impact, which is that you start each game with two fewer resources, but that's it. The flip side to it not being in your deck is that it's impossible to avoid. Yeah. So, you know, even if you're using something like Scrying or Elisa Graham, yeah. you know, you're able to potentially filter your deck. Daisy can use or Book of Law to avoid drawing it. None of that applies to Indebted. It's, in, it's there staring you in the face from before the first turn of the game that you've got a debt hanging over your head. Yeah. If it wasn't permanent and it just said lose two resources when you drew it, I would still say it's the easiest well, weakness I, it in would, the game. Yeah, I would say that would be by far the easiest weakness. Mm, yeah, it, so it's the, all it's this the, has going for it is that it's permanent. It's the yeah. fact that it's in play that makes it so hard to deal with. You can't avoid it. Yeah. That That's what makes it difficult to me. So I, I think one of the things we'll talk about as we go through is that there's a sort of rule of thumb for weaknesses that they'll tax you two actions. You know, the difference is when you can afford to spend those two actions. A bad weakness will be it taxes you two actions right there and then, that you, you absolutely have to get rid of it. Yeah. A weakness which is maybe more middling is one that can stay in play uh, the easy end would be one that can stay and play. You don't even necessarily have to get rid of it. Yeah. So there will be some examples of that, uh, depending on what investigator you've got. So from that point of view, you look at indebted and you say, well, you just spent two actions to take two money, right? Then you've cancelled it yeah. out. Yeah. But is it as simple as that? <laughs> because the time it hits you is literally the first turn of the game. When, as we've talked about in our uh, an episode a few months ago we talked about about opening hands the opening hands yeah those first few turns can be absolutely critical in making sure that you the rest of your scenario goes smoothly and giving up a chunk of that first turn can be crippling yes and i completely agree on all of those points and definitely don't want to underplay how important a start is but, but. i would say <laughs> that if you get a slightly slower start because of indebted but know that you only have one weakness in your deck coming up, that that's still okay. But it's not... I mean, I'd also say that it, we mentioned that we'd look for particular investigators who they might hurt more. And I'd say getting indebted as a guardian or a mystic who really wants to set up and play probably a couple of assets turn one is going to be hurt more than, uh, say, a seeker who's just might start by getting clues. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've always got clues to get as a seeker. A rogue similarly might might want to play lockpicks or something like that, but they might also be happy to simply dance off and draw a couple of cards, get a couple of resources. So we talked about the value of the the weakness. What you said is that effectively, probably rogues and seekers, the value of a resource is less than an action. 
rogues especially because mm. they have so much resource acceleration in their decks. Although, you know, depending on the rogue you're playing, they're, you know, that money is directly worth a, a bonus to yourself. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, but in Guardian and Mystic, especially early on in the game, the value of a resource is quite high. Yes, I agree with that. Agree with that. Well, luckily, we don't have to come to consensus about where these weaknesses <laughs> fall. But I, I think Indebted does illustrate nicely the point that for some people can look at it and go, this is dreadful. And other people, including me, go, this is lovely. Yeah, you, You've mentioned one name in particular, and we won't go... I don't know how much detail we'll go into each of them. But it's worth pointing out Preston probably doesn't mm, care a yes, jot about yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had opening turns as Preston where I've spent all nine resources <laughs> yeah but you know starting with seven when you could have had nine that's not the end of the world i don't think yeah so yeah, yeah. preston doesn't mind being indebted he's already indebted to the lodge yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah and ashkan is another one Ashkan's set up and ready to go doesn't really care well i don't know i don't know about that Sometimes, if you're playing dark horse ashkan I mean. but but what you might do is dark horse ashkan is plan what you the assets you need to to play to get up to speed, right? So you'll say, okay, yeah. I need a fire axe, Madame Lebranche, dark horse, and that's six resources, which you can get with Madame Lebranche. Yeah, which you can get with Madame Lebranche. Yes, but I need to draw her and then start using her. But yeah, if I don't have indebted, I've got five of the six I need straight off the bat. And that's not yeah. counting playing, you know, other resource, uh, other assets and events. To get up to speed. So that might potentially put a dent in your plans if you get indebted. It might, but Ashkan can still fight and clue without anything else. He can, yes, you're right. So yes. you might not be in, in like the supremely set up mode as quickly, but he still holds his own up until that that point, I'd say. I'd agree, you know, yes, it does put a dent in your setup. And maybe maybe in future we'll do an a, you know, more conversation not just about a mulligan, but about the importance of opening turns. I think it also slightly is my play style that I'm happy to try and not play too much early on to keep lots of cards in hand and work out which way I need to tack. Maybe it's a solo thing. I don't know. I don't wonder whether... Cause so, so we've spent a while talking about indebted, but it is yeah. unique, I guess, in that it's a permanent. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what, if we see, well, what, what another permanent weakness would look like, whether we'll mm. ever see one. Yeah. And we think about in Forgotten Age how punishing it was to start without mulligan or with reduced hand size or with fewer resources. Well, yeah, in fact, you know, it's... hitting any of those starting conditions and reducing them is really painful. You can start broke, right? Yeah, well, exactly. That happened to to someone in my in my team when we played. They had indebted and they lost two resources, so they started the game with literally zero resources, and that's Horrible. tough. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. Weird, isn't that weird that I think that that's really punishing, but I think losing two is not so bad. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. There are now a slew of weaknesses that take a double action to clear, and I've grouped all of these together. So I'm going to run through them very brief- briefly. There's drawing the sign, which when it comes into play reduces your hand size by five. There's chronophobia and internal injury. They give you a damage, no, a horror and a damage respectively at the end of your turn. There's hypochondria and psychosis. They give you direct damage and direct horror if you take the opposite damage or horror. 
And then there's Haunted, which gives you minus one to all of your skills. And the 13th Vision, which says investigators at your location fail ties. Yes. So Haunted and 13th Vision are relatively similar. Yes. But there's some there's some differences. A lot of people said they're the same. They're not quite the same. There's some differences between them. But yeah. for our purposes, it just makes skill tests a bit harder. Yes, exactly. So I've grouped all of these together because all of them you can clear in exactly the same way with a double action. And for all of them, I would say that they have the same impact on my playstyle, which is that if I know I have these weaknesses in my deck, I don't draw actions two or three if I can possibly help it. Yes, because if I draw action one and I hit one, I can then clear it in the turn and I'm fine. With all of these as well, someone else, another investigator at your location can clear them. Yes, yeah. Which it often comes into play for us if it's an especially crippling one and the, the character who is has drawn it is heavily action taxed. Yeah. So for me, the ones that could probably sit there are hypochondria and psychosis because they are dependent on other things happening in the scenario taking damage or horror before they have any impact. Yes. I'll potentially put drawing the sign into that slot as well, depending on who you're playing. Yeah. If you're a seeker wanting your higher ed and wanting to keep a big card full, a handful of cards rather, card full of hands, <laughs> then drawing the sign is really nasty. It can almost be as bad as an amnesia and empty your hand out. But if you're only, you only have three or four cards in hand anyway, it's not the end of the world. No, no, and, and you know, there are certain cards that boost your hand size as well. Laboratory assistant, which quite a few seekers use. Mm. It would also be pretty rough getting drawing the sign as Sephina, because she normally wants or or as lots of rogues, I would guess. They want a hand packed full of tricks ready to deal the amount of problems. Yeah. And if you're playing the Ashcan empty hand, no resources yeah. build, drawing the sign is fine. You only ever have two cards in hand at most and then cards like last chance become really powerful yeah so uh, are any of these shout- jumping out to you as particularly nasty it can seem that there's if you take an extra weakness there's an instant kill combo of hypochondria and psychosis yeah so yeah. watch Good out for that but i would say the worst is if you've got an unbalanced health pool that makes hypochondria and psychosis, sorry, an unbalanced health and sanity pool. Yeah. Like Roland or Daisy. That can make hypochondria and psychosis dangerous. It can make whichever of the two of chronophobia and internal injury are hitting your smaller pool. It can make them quite nasty. Yeah. I draw chronophobia on Daisy. That might not be an instant clear for me because if I take a couple of sanity over a couple of turns, it's not the end. She doesn't yeah. care. Yeah. But, <laughs> but internal injury is a must clear. Yeah. Or chronophobia is Roland. Yes. Both yeah. both not great. Of course, if you draw Chronophobia and your Agnes, your quid's in. <laughs> wow, yeah. She's just yeah, yeah, yeah. firing You're out. Probably geared up to heal horror as well. Exactly, so. yeah. So you can use that <laughs> proactively. Uh, and the flip side, of course, is that if she gets psychosis, I can remember which one does which. Hypochondria is when you take damage, damage you take terror, horror. Yeah, so psychosis is when you take horror, you take damage. Yeah, she doesn't like that She at does all, not like that she? at all, no. <laughs> the other little note I'd make, I, I definitely agree that looking at your health and sanity pool in relation to the damage and horror weaknesses is very important. I'd say the other thing to note is that the horror and damage are direct from these four weaknesses, chronophobia, internal injury, hypochondria, and psychosis, which means if you're playing a very soaky style of investigator, 
who's maybe got Peter Sylvester or a keepsake or a leather coat or whatever else it is, you're probably a survivor, maybe a guardian, that this these are ways of, of that being negated and punishing you for that. So say I'm playing Mark Harrigan and I'm planning to put all my horror elsewhere. Suddenly, if I draw chronophobia, I've got to deal with it quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought of these, the one that I probably dread the most is Haunted, particularly in Solo, because it's this blanket punishment. And maybe because in Solo, I'm normally trying to play balanced-ish investigators, where Haunted hitting all of my stats can be really nasty. It's also the kind of thing where if you draw it in upkeep, it might have an impact then on the following mythos phase in the way that if you draw chronophobia or internal injury and upkeep, they don't hit you until the end of your next turn. So Haunted can have an immediate impact, which I think is quite nasty. Yeah, yeah. We talked about the the difference between Haunted and 13th Vision when we did the Circle Undone unboxing. I don't know if we need to talk about that now. No, that's fine. If people want to for us to dive more deeply into that, they can listen to that episode. But, you know, they're both just generally bad, really. The point to make with these here is that they maybe hurt generalists more than they do yes. someone like Agnes or Daisy, who's acing tests anyway, yeah. and testing mainly on one stat. If you're more of a, a Pete or a, a Jenny, hitting all of your stats at a minus one is going to be a bit more painful. Lola yeah, hates absolutely, haunted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought as well of of Finn or even Preston. Oh god, yeah. If you're if you're spending a lot of resources to smash a test or if you're using lockpicks in Finn to be five or six over the threshold, even though Haunted will hit both of your lockpick stats, you're still so far over that it doesn't matter. But uh yeah, reducing Preston to zeros is pretty nasty. Calvin doesn't care, he's already zero. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd like to probably move on now either to sort of the middling weaknesses, but I wonder if actually we should mention the enemy basic weaknesses at this point, because one of the rules of thumb around dealing with the enemies is if you can kill them in a couple of actions, they're the same as any of these double action weaknesses. Yes. I think you suggested that to me. So should we go to enemies? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What enemies do we have, Peter? So we have uh, the... uh, I can never remember the stats of any of them, even when they're in my deck. Uh, <laughs> but I remember what they do. So I'll talk about Just that. Just say some random numbers. Yeah. It's fine. We'll... Four, two, three, 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 two. Uh, <laughs> so we've got the Mob Enforcer, who... Yeah, four, three, three. Thank you. Who you can pay four resources to make him go away. Yeah. We have the Silver Twilight Acolyte, who uh, is an Ancient Evils on a stick. Yeah. Every time... Two, three, three. Two, three, three. So easy to hit, but two hits at least. When they attack, when they initiate attack? After they attack. After they attack. You put a doom on them. You put a doom on the current agenda. You put a doom on the agenda, even that, worse. Yeah, that's why it changed evils on a stick, right? Yeah. yeah. We have a stubborn detective who blanks the text boxes of all investigators at their location. Yeah, 322. Thank you. And finally, we have the thing that follows, who doesn't have any bad words on them. Yeah, so that's their 3-2-3. They hit for a damage and a horror, so they're the only weakness that hits for horror. And they are a hunter, and it says when the thing thing that follows would be defeated, instead shuffle it into its bearer. Yes, deck, that's the bad thing, yes. But when it spawns, it spawns at the, the location furthest away from you. That's right. So am I right in thinking all of these cards have prey 
bearer only. Yeah, that's right. It's a critical one to get right because it works quite differently from prey in normal circumstances. Yeah. Prey is usually just a tiebreaker in terms of what direction an enemy moves or who it engages with if there's a choice. Yeah. The only qualifier, so bearer only, impacts this in, in quite a quite a severe way in that it will only move after the bearer of the weakness and it will only engage the bearer of the weakness. So a yeah, weakness as if enemy will that were the only investigator in play. Yes. So it will move through other investigators. Which is yeah, hugely important. Yes. Which, you know, it it's usually a benefit because other investigators can go about their day normally when uh, something's there but it might mean if you know if you're daisy and you've got a stubborn detective you want a fighter to probably to finish off the detective for you and it taxes them an extra action engaging the detective and killing it for you yeah the the bearer only doesn't make them aloof no so they can still attack the enemy without engaging them but, yeah, there's many occasions where you want it to come towards the fighter for the fighter to kill them. Yeah. And it completely ignores that. Even if the fighter's closer, it will still move towards its bearer. Yes. And it'll move away from a fighter <laughs> towards its bearer yeah. if, if, if it can. So we've touched on it then already that Guardians, maybe Yorick as well, quite like a basic weakness that's an enemy because they can be geared up to fight anyway. And if the Silver Twilight Acolyte comes out, you said it was maybe two actions to kill because it's got three health. There's probably Guardians that can one-shot that in their sleep. Similarly, Agnes, I think, can deal with it with a ping of horror from something and one shriveling. So that's just gone and dealt with. So I always think when I draw enemy basic weaknesses, I think, how good am I at fighting generally? And that that normally has an impact on then how I think about the basic weakness. Yes, okay, then that makes sense, yeah. Just speaking about a couple of them specifically, the Stubborn Detective uh, is possibly one of my most favourite weakness cards in the game. Yes. Mainly because of the, the, the theme implications of no matter where you are, this detective, who is the most stubborn detective in the history of the world. Yeah, he should be called Stubbornest Detective. Yeah, like you can be... You know, in another dimension, you can be on top of a mountain, like hunting something down. You can be killing, you know, an eldritch horror that's that's threatening the the existence of humanity, and he's still after you because he thinks you've killed someone. Yeah, it's just yeah. like kicking down a door. You there, stop! I've got to ask you some questions. Excuse me, detective. Can't you see I'm a bit busy with this tentacled monstrosity? <laughs> You're literally being torn limb from limb. Yeah, and he's saying, "I knew it was you all along." Yeah. And then the the other one that I, I just want to mention is the thing that follows, which wins for the the award for the weakness you don't care about when you draw, and then yeah. instantly forget about until it's a problem. Yeah, it seems like the thing that follows has a, a baked in but unidentifiable ability to come up at a time when it doesn't matter, but the point when it reaches you, it also <laughs> seems to always summon more enemies. Yeah. I've always had it where it's been like, yeah, the thing that follows is not a problem. And then the turn that it's about to hunt onto you and hit for a damage of horror is also the turn when three of the four people in your group have all drawn enemies that turn. And your your guardian is completely tied up with combat. Yes. And all of the turns they've said, oh yeah, when it gets close, I'll just step over and machete it. It doesn't matter. Suddenly they do not have time to do that. Yes. 
you're I mean, pleading that someone has a shortcut. Logically, yeah. it's less bad than the other weaknesses, the other enemy weaknesses, because you it's on a very predictable track moving towards you. But like you say, yes. in practice, <laughs> this never works out <laughs> like that. <laughs> kind yeah. of just rumbles towards yeah. you and then suddenly rocks up. Hello, just as other enemies do. That's where Stubborn Detective, I say, is, is the flip of that. That Stubborn Detective is immediately impactful when you draw it. And even if you draw it in upkeep and you're with your party, everyone's abilities are blanked. So that means, for instance, if you're playing as Joe, you don't reveal the top card of your hunch deck while Stubborn Detective is in play because at the beginning of the investigation phase, your your ID is still blank. So you don't do that. And similarly, as Roland, you can't get clues while Stubborn Detective is around because you don't have that ability Daisy loses her tome action. Skids can't take extra actions. It, the the tax from the stubborn detective is is really impactful immediately unless you get rid of it. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think of these, the most dangerous is the Silver Twilight Acolyte. Not because it has the scariest stats, but because the impact it can have is the greatest. And that means as well that the way I might play around other enemies, like, for instance, not be scared about taking an attack of opportunity to play a weapon, I just can't do that with the Silver Twilight Acolyte. I have to not get hit by it if I don't want it to really punish me. Yeah. Um, there's one notable exception, I think, in A Phantom of Truth. It can be a useful weakness to have. But... It's a slim... <laughs> it's a slim silver lining, isn't yeah. it? Oh, yeah. And while we're doing edge case things, Stubborn Detective helps Lola. Yeah, and Preston, sort of. Mm. What? How does it help Preston? Well, the money doesn't go on inheritance, does it? It goes into your pool then. Is the, the card on Preston's text is what stops him getting money, isn't it? Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the inheritance isn't him, so the inheritance keeps getting money anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's good. He has to hide the fact that he's a millionaire by collecting yeah. resources normally yeah. so if you've packed your deck full of hot streaks you know you save an action yeah you know taking that money off your inheritance yeah yeah should we move on to the next group of, of yeah of uh bad things so i've got i've got three that i think are mid-range bad yes and i'd be interested to hear your take on these they are amnesia which when you draw it you discard all but one card in your hand paranoia which is where you discard all of your resources and through the gates where you reveal the top card of your deck, discard that one, and then find any other copies of that card in your deck, in play, in your hand, and remove that from the game as well. And if Through the Gates hits a weakness as the top card of your deck, you draw that weakness instead. Yes. So yeah. So those are... I've put these as mid-range ones. Yeah. So both Amnesia and Paranoia leave you with one of the, the thing they target, right? If you hit them in upkeep, yeah. Yes, of course, yes. Which one leaves? Is it paranoia? You discard all but one cards. Amnesia no, sorry. It, yeah, at least you card, yeah. all but one card, yeah. and then paranoia takes all of your resources. Yes, and in upkeep you draw cards and then, then gain resources. So if par- if you draw paranoia, you lose all your resources and then you gain one. Yeah. So again, these paranoia and amnesia, I think, target different investigators in different ways. If you're again, if you're a seeker or you know some of the rogues, there's a potential you might have six, seven, eight cards in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yep. losing those can be quite a blow. So if you know this is in your deck, you know you've, you know, do what you can, I guess. Yeah, suddenly that filtered draw with Daisy through the old book of law becomes vital. Yes, I'd say I'd say rogues p- 
particularly don't like these two because rogues also can run very resource intensive and they do have the best resource generation in the game but they also you know we've seen particularly with preston now you might want to play rich preston and sit with plenty of resources or you know similarly as finn or skids you might be planning to turn those resources into extra actions or into streetwise boosts and being reduced to zero is very punishing given that most rogue resource generation relies on you having some resources as your kind of startup cash you know, whether it's five or three for hot streaks yeah just to get get you going the worst situation to be in is on the cusp of pulling off a good play and then your plans are totally ruined by one of these cards yeah so you know you're about to do 12 damage to a boss or you're about to pick up eight clues off a location on the next turn to 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 crack on and finish an act or or you know defeat an enemy a boss enemy before before you all die and then these cards just yeah. absolutely ruin that situation and that's where i've uh, grouped through the gates in there as well because through the gates has it's not as large an effect i would say but it has this it's like a scalpel it has this targeted effect that can just completely snipe a a card in play a piece in play i've been playing with through the gates in think on your feet as finn and most recently little spoiler for people who haven't listened it hits track shoes and takes both track shoes out and i you know you could have spent an action and resources playing an asset and then you suddenly want to hold the other asset in hand or keep it nearby just so through the gates can't target it and it punishes you for running doubles in your deck which of course is what one likes to do. Yeah, is have doubles of all the useful cards. My feel on on through the gates is that for it to be a particularly bad weakness, you have to have a lot of stuff not in your favour. Yeah, I, I think most of the time I, I've not got it yet, so I haven't had it in my deck. This is the problem with with the weaknesses: is the more we play, you know, the the, the more cards we get, the f- the smaller chance you have of getting any of them. <laughs> yeah. So through yeah. the gates, it's. It was in this cycle, uh, and I haven't got it yet. So uh, maybe I'll just put it in a deck to see how see how it plays. Yeah, it was in Return to Dunnit. Sorry, Return to so Dunnit. That's right. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know it has to be a card. It has to hit a card that you know you've played is expensive that you really need for it to be that bad. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you just treat it as a card that would be on. You know, it was a card that was on the bottom of your deck. Yes. Yeah. The alternative is it hits a card that you spent a lot of experience on and is a key card, like a, a golden pocket watch or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll talk about them soon. I guess <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think I think um, you're you're completely right, and I think I suppose what it instills in me is a bit of respect for the risk it can destroy my setup. It, it doesn't mean that it it necessarily will, but just that it can do that, and that that's worth bearing in mind. You know, if it hits your second time worn brand and your first is in play, you're potentially the wheels have really come off. It's also worth noting that it it doesn't affect specialists as much as it affects generalists. I would say because if you've specialized and you have say four or five weapons in your deck, even if you lose two to through the gates, you still have other options. And similarly, if like if you're a dedicated clue finder, you probably have more than one card that helps you get clues. Yeah. So you could be a little disrupted by through the gates, but it's not going to end your scenario. But then I guess the, I the, with... the flip side of that is, if you're a specialist, you'll likely have more cards which help you do the thing you want to do. 
Yeah. So it, no, that's what I mean. So through the gates. No, won't. what I'm saying is it's more likely to hit something useful <laughs> when you're a specialist. Yeah, it hits it hits some of the some of the cards that are part of the <laughs> yeah. things that you do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I've thought before if it were to hit lockpicks in Finn for me, I would tech really quickly towards generating resources and using Lola and Streetwise. Yeah. And the actions I might have spent using lockpicks, I then I'm like, okay, I know what I'm now doing. That's that's my backup plan. And similarly, if it hits Lola, I can still get clues with lockpicks. I can't hit streetwise, obviously. If it hits some resource generation, there's enough resource generation in there that I can probably get by. But yeah, I have thought about it in the way that if I had drawing the sign, I wouldn't have given it another thought. Um, I just want to share one great story. I had two copies of Paranoia in my Ashcan Dark Horse deck uh, way back when, when I was playing Dunwich. And yeah, two copies of a weakness that doesn't do anything because I was dark horsing was great. (laughs) They were just, yeah, cards I had to draw through. If you were picking where through the gates would fall on this scale of easier to harder to deal with, would you have put it way lower, do you think? Which one, sorry? Through the gates? Through the gates, yeah. It's hard to say without having played with it a huge amount. I, I would say my gut feel on the card was that I wouldn't be too disappointed to have this as my basic weakness mm-hmm. like you say i maybe yeah. i maybe i respect it too much yeah maybe i don't respect it enough <laughs> who's to yeah. say i mean you've played with it and i haven't so yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I'll... I mean i think i'm also i maybe uh worst case scenarioing it of that fear of it completely knocking the wheels off your wagon and it being massive problem what i'm what i think what i'm getting at is that the the impact on you is the cost of the card you've already played and the action mm. to play it. So it has yes. to hit a card which you've already got in play and which is expensive or, or you know, or whatever. Otherwise... Or it has to hit the first copy of a card you're really looking for. Yes, but then the, we have this... Th- you're not then taxed for cost and resources, obviously. Yes, but we have this thing called the milling fallacy. Have you, have you come across this in other card games? I haven't, but I'm going to guess that it's... If you weren't going to see it anyway, you may as well treat it at the bottom of your deck. Yes, but that... essentially, yes. So so milling in itself... So milling is when you remove cards from your deck or, or a deck in the game, and they're discarded. Mm-hmm. Quite often, games have a, a, a win or a loss effect based on running out of cards. So Magic the Gathering, if you run out of all your cards, uh, you lose the game. Yeah. And there was a card called Millstone, which removed cards from the other player's deck, which is why it's called milling. Yeah. So, yeah, like you say, it, if, if I mill, say, two cards off, 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 off a deck, off my deck, they might as well have been the two bottom cards. In itself, it's, it's not really hurt me. Mm. It, milling only becomes a problem when there's another effect tied to being milled. So if I lose when I run out, or if I take horror when I run out, or it hits something like Beyond the Veil. Yes. Or yeah. you could say if you're in a deck like Min, who can reliably draw their entire deck in a game, and so therefore count on seeing all of her cards... You might argue in that situation, milling cards is probably more impactful. It's another way of saying yeah. don't make your entire strategy rely on just a couple of cards. Yeah, 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 yeah. which I would agree with. So I, I would agree with all of that. And I would say that the point at which Through the Gates has an impact is the point at which there's a particular card you need. So maybe it is because you're trying to finish off a scenario or find that final weapon because you've run out of ammo or... Along those lines, find that 
deduction so you can do that mega play, clear the clues, finish off. That's the point when just when you think you're in the home straight, this card hits you. And that, that to me is why it has more of an impact than a chronophobia or an internal injury where damage and horror are much more known quantities. But yeah, I, I agree. Let's put it down with indebted as very easy. <laughs> <laughs> right. The last ones, I mean, I, I, I'm interested to see if you think that these deserve to be as hard as I've put them. But I mean, the, the eagle-eared listener will know which cards we have left. The Dark Pact, which is a two-cost event where you deal two damage to an investigator at your location and when the game ends or you're eliminated if you still have dark pact in your hand it trades up into the price of failure which is a very nice two damage two horror and a a doom on the agenda revelation (laughs) so that's kind of nasty there's doomed we all know about doomed it leads into ascending path and then into Uh, the bell tolls Mm -hmm. i think it's a cursed fate but i just can never remember the name of it and that's you're you're killed when you get to the end of that yes but also doomed and what's the middle one called for whom the bell tolls no that's the last (laughs) Uh, one a cursed fate a cursed fate yeah so yeah uh doomed deals a horror deals a horror yeah cursed fate deals two horror yeah and the last one just kills you yeah and you have to see doomed twice and a cursed fate twice so you get six horror total before you killed yes there's overzealous which it's also one of the the simplest cards as well in terms it's of text. so bad draw the top card of the encounter deck that card gains so surge. bad so just, bad it's just <laughs> so terrible beautifully put together <laughs> and then i've also put in there the tower 16 as i think one of the harder cards and i'd be fascinated to hear what you think about that so that is that you can't commit cards to skill tests while you hold it in hand and you're going to need to spend four cost and an action to play this card because it's an asset. If you draw it in your opening hand during setup, before or after taking a mulligan, you can't replace it. It has to stay in your opening and hand. And it uses a tar- tarot slot as well. And it uses the tarot slot. Yeah. So I've put those four as potentially wrecking cards. I would argue, I would be willing to say that maybe Dark Pact is actually a middling card rather than a hard card. But that fear of the price of failure, the two horror, two damage, and a doom, is definitely on my mind when I have Dark Pact as a weakness. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I, I've not found Dark Pact too bad. Mm-hmm. It's effectively useless in the last scenario as well. You just ignore it at that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, it's it's helped as well that it you can stick it on a, a high health investigator at your location if you're playing multiplayer. So yes. I've just stabbed yeah. Roland in the back in the past. Yeah, yeah. I've also played through uh, a campaign where I had it, I was playing in solo, where I just decided I would never spend two cost in an action. And I would accept that I'd take two horror and two damage and the doom every other scenario. Yeah. So that's you know, knowing then that scenarios two, four, six and eight, there's going to be a hit that I take if I draw it. And essentially ignoring it the rest of the time and not even having to think about it. So that's a way of playing around. Yeah, it. you could, you could also take a judgment that if you offset that by one, then you don't get it on the last scenario in the campaign. Yeah, yeah. Spend two cost in an action at some point just yeah. to, to break that. Or, or you know, if, if you don't draw it, you know, that, that might well yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that possibility, isn't there? The, the other thing I'd say is that uh, last time I played it was in Return to Dunwich, 
And I've noticed in some of those return encounter sets that there's more damage pressure than there used to be. And I wonder if taking damage is some, some an area that Matt is looking at a bit more because one of the ways that you get around Beyond the Veil is just soak a lot of damage. You set up so that you can. And it seems that he's added a bit more chip damage to keep picking away at investigators so that you can't just... Yeah, I suppose because health is a resource and to encourage people to use it. And in that sort of situation, maybe chucking two damage out onto Roland, if he's also then going to take a bit more damage than he normally would have done, makes it makes the threat of Beyond the Veil all the more potent. Um, is Doomed bad? <laughs> well, some people really... Or is it actually the easiest to deal with? In isolation, yeah. it's, it's the easiest to deal with by far, right? Yeah. Some people really hate this, and they hate that it's in the game. There's been a really visceral reaction from some people. Yeah. Because it puts your investigator on a clock to to being yeah. killed. But, so, you know, around scenario five or six, maybe you're resigned to uh, picking a new investigator was your experience at that point. And I can see the frustration if it's going to hit you in scenario seven and everyone else is going into the final scenario tooled up you know, all of their huge weapons and gold pocket watch and everything else powered up and you're picking a zero XP investigator to take into the finale. That can feel a bit sad. Yeah, especially for your team as well, because you, you'd maybe feel like you've let the team down. But the thing is, on yeah. the way there, I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm, I, it's another one that I have, haven't actually drawn yet. Mm-hmm. The other thing to note is that this and the price of failure, no, Dark Pact, you don't yeah. use them if you're not playing campaign mode. Yes. Because they obviously yeah, don't yeah. have any effect then. Or they, they do, but it's quite... Yeah, there's no impact to them. Yeah. Yeah, oh man, I, I, I don't know. I, I I can't take a judgment on this, really. I like... Yeah, I, 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 I kind of say... like that they're in the game. I think it's it's an it's an, at least an interesting effect to have. Yeah. To the extent it, it maybe makes you play like... It instills in you a feel of you're temporary and that you are going to die. Which I suppose yeah. is the point. Yeah, if if we go into every scenario knowing we're going to smash it, we're missing out on some of the charm of the whole genre, mm. which is that feeling of snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. The other thing I'd say is that I also think Doomed inordinately affects those players who don't play as much, because if you only do, say, one campaign a month and... It is your, you know, that one night a month when you're playing. If you draw Doomed as your basic weakness, it's like, oh, I've spent a long time preparing this deck. This is my campaign group. That's a shame. In the way that it, I play more than that. So if I have an investigator who has Doomed, I go, okay, this, this is going to be fine. I'm probably going to draw less than I would normally. I might resign some scenarios earlier than I would normally because I want to play around Doomed. And I'll also think about who my backup could be in four, five, six scenarios time, yeah. maybe. And that I would I would enjoy that because that's a very different experience. That's, I think, also where you can say it's having some of the largest impact on your play experience in the way that, yeah, I probably won't come out with too many stories of the time I drew drawing the sign and it really ruined my day, but doomed, doomed will ruin exactly. your day. Exactly, and I can only imagine the tension you've got when you finally get For Whom the Bell Tolls in your deck. And every single draw of a card <laughs> is potentially going to kill you. Yeah, uh, I've not I've not yeah. been there, so I don't know what it's like. But I can imagine it it <laughs> lends it lends a certain uh, certain tension to your game. Yeah, yeah. We actually we had 
a similar thing happened with Calvin in a campaign where he'd taken a lot of trauma, more than just, more than the usual amount. And we reached the point where Voice of the Messenger was going to eliminate him because he couldn't take any more trauma. Yeah. And that happened in scenario seven. And there was this whole, all the way through that, that scenario, there was this fear. Could he just at least get through the scenario and then at least he'd have a stab at scenario <laughs> eight. And even in scenario six, we talked about, could we kill him off? Could we deliberately draw into Voice of the Messenger so that he was killed so we at least got two scenarios worth with his replacement? It's, yeah, it's a it's an interesting way to play. It's definitely not the usual, yeah. What I would say for people who really don't like this is it's easy enough to take it out the weakness pool yeah. there's, there's enough yeah. other weaknesses in the card especially in the pool especially now that we've got uh you know cycles and, and return to boxes adding extra basic ones that you know you're not going to mm. miss mm. the presence of just this one weakness so if it's something that's that's upsetting you and it, and it you don't like playing with it it's easy enough to take it out the pool yeah, and surely that's the sign of a good weakness, if it's the one you dread to receive. Yes, surely. <laughs> <laughs> what about Overzealous in the Tower 16? Any st- strong thoughts for Overzealous you there? is just awful. And like, it... That's a good reaction. It yeah. turns what can be a bad scenario into a terrible scenario. I mean, a scenario in terms of your situation. You know, it's, yeah. it's never good to draw two extra treachery cards... And if it hits at the wrong tra- time, it can be, you know, just terrible. The, the the story I always tell is when I was, I'm sure I've told this on the podcast before, when I was Min in, uh, what's it called? Black Stars Black Stars Rise. Rise, yes. Is it this story? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I had two two Bayakis on me. Someone else goes to evade one of them so Min can get away. And I commit manual dexterity. And the card I draw is overzealous. And then yet more Bayakis come out. There's only four in the deck. They all turn up. I think it's horrible. The the the, the saving yeah. grace is if you draw a, a weakness that has, uh, sorry, a treachery that has surge on it. At least it doesn't double surge. <laughs> <laughs> That's the saving grace that you might draw a card that would have surged anyway, yeah. and it didn't. Like that's the sign for me of how bad a weakness <laughs> it is. I think my experience of it in solo, it's a scenario wrecker single handedly. Yeah. Because in solo, you're relying on normally drawing one card, maybe two in the Mythos phase, depending on Surge. And particularly for lots of solo investigators, drawing multiple enemies absolutely fatal. swaps you. And Overzealous can go in upkeep. Here, have two enemies. And then in Mythos, you draw a third enemy. And then that's toast. Yes, absolutely. You know? Yeah, yeah. Unless you've As a proportion it. of cards you draw, it gets worse with the fewer players you have. Yeah. So drawing yeah, ex- six across four players is nowhere near as bad as drawing three on one player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really, really horrible. Yeah. Um, I did have Overzealous in Mark Harrigan once as well, and I felt like it was a... Uh, because I drew so many cards as Mark, if it was almost like the whole game was on steroids. I was drawing multiple cards from my deck because I was taking damage, but then every so often I'd hit overzealous and it would be like the the encounter next turn to hit me with three <laughs> cards. Like, oh, you like drawing cards, <laughs> yeah, do have, you? Have yeah. some more cards. Yeah. Well, finally, let, let's just look at the tower. And the tower yeah. has what is possibly, it feels the worst bit of text on any weakness, which is that if yeah. you draw it in your opening hand, you don't get to set it aside and redraw. Mm. that's horrible Mm. that is horrible i mean flip side if that's your only basic weakness you're seeing it early 
some of my points about indebted and it being out of your deck is no bad thing. But the fact that you then can't commit cards to test, I hate. The fact that it's taken up one of your opening hand cards Mm -hmm. is really horrid. You're starting with a four card hand then. And, and then the fact that it costs so much yeah, to get it out four of your is hand. A, is a, we, we've talked briefly about this before, but four is at the upper limit of what's comfortable to to get to and play. I mean, even if you're yes, just spending yeah. actions to get resources, this is more than a turn's worth of resources. Well, you know, three mm. actions, then your, your upkeep resource will be able to play it next turn, assuming you don't have anything else to play. But then you look at the cards you could have played instead with four resources... You know, you've got a 45, mm, you've got yeah. a beat cop, you've got Milan, you know, all these cards, yeah. which are which are real game changers. This yeah, is right to see King Alyssa. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think, yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> but but then I, I guess the question is, are there any decks which don't mind not committing cards? Yeah, I wondered about that. And I wondered if in uh, a deck where you're spending resources to boost, you... A, might be generating more resources, so might not care so much about spending four to get this down. But also, if you're just using Streetwise or Higher Ed, say, you actually just keep the resources and you think, I could commit a card for one icon, but I can also boost with Streetwise for plus three. So I'm just going to do that instead. Or or you're a real specialist who doesn't necessarily need the stat boost. Uh, You know, a a Mark or, or a Daisy or an Agnes or whatever. If you've got a really high stat primary stat and you're able yeah. to survive on that especially if you're in the yeah. closing turns of the game yes where you've reached that specialized point the fighter's going to be fighting the seeker's going to be you could maybe happily sit with this in, yeah. in in a slot in your deck yeah the other thing that it it wrecks is all of those turns where maybe you're not committing lots of cards for a boost but you're committing one impactful card a vicious so blow. You can't commit your stroke of yeah. luck, your vicious blow, your deduction. You can't commit a double or nothing yes. to pull off that play. Uh, all, all the quick thinking for extra. Or watch action. this for the money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or your last chance or your resourceful even to get your luckies back. All of that gets turned off. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah, that is rough. Someone like Silas or Min like hates this because committing cards is so much their thing. But. I mean, sometimes I I hear people say that they don't commit cards very often, and maybe I'm just a a card committing freak and draw too many cards and commit too many. But I feel like it's rare that I don't go through a turn where I commit something. I, I would tend to agree with you. I think certain investigators probably commit less, but then you yeah. know the option to commit to your allies is always there. Yeah, in multiplayer, you might just be slinging cards yeah. out. Yeah. I, I would say you know you look at someone. Jim would be my my example. Jim can take tests really well mm-hmm. uh, if, once you've set up a bit because he's got that the bonus of the of the skull token. And I think certain of the other, you know, like uh, some of the mystic combo decks and things like that probably don't mind as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I think on the whole, most people will be committing or wanting to commit cards usually once a turn, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if not then, then maybe once every couple of turns. But I think so. I think it's and I think it's one of the best defences against the mythos is throwing cards to pass tests. So even just using it defensively. And obviously if you're Min, this is the very worst weakness you can get. Yeah, yeah. Min or Silas. It's horrible. Okay, great. Um closing thoughts? Oh, I don't know. Um <laughs> you've sprung that on me. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my closing thought is that even in going through this, I realise the the influence these weaknesses have had on my thinking and how they do impact on what I want to do, maybe how I want to upgrade my deck or how I pilot my deck. And I I would say that that's a way of getting better as a player. It's just checking in. What does my weakness do? Does it change how I play? Does it mean I should focus on things that I wouldn't have normally focused on? I think that's a really good step towards becoming a pro. Yeah, I think that's that's a good that's a good conclusion to reach. I think it it has bred in me an awareness of what's in my deck remaining. Yeah, it, yeah, what's left in my deck and the chances of drawing particular cards, and not just for weaknesses. It it's sort of that feeling of having to be aware of what's left in how many cards I've got left, what's in those cards. It's a useful skill to have, even when just thinking about player cards. What are my chances of getting the card I need? You know, I, I say, oh, I'm drawing for such and such a card. Is it worth doing that? Yeah. Would those yeah. actions be better spent doing else? It's something else, especially when there's maybe weakness still left in my deck. I'll repeat my yeah. my opening statement, which is that I think the weakness cards are one of the things that really set this game apart and one of the things I really, really like about it. I'd agree. I noticed that the, there's the new Lord of the Rings board game coming up and it looks like they're adding negative cards into the, the little decks you draw from that give you actions and things like that. Yeah. Which I thought, that's got to be Arkham Inspired. Yes. Just adding a little bit of uncertainty and challenging the feeling that all card drawer is good. There was some chat on the, the Reddit. It, can we talk about the bonded cards briefly? Yeah. So so bonded is, is a mechanic coming later in the cycle. And how that works yeah. is you'll have a card in your deck which is tied to some cards that aren't in your deck, which are set to one side. And the, the example given in the article is when you play the card, you add the bonded cards to your deck and draw one straight away. So people have said, you know, there's a potential for a bonded card to have a big impact, which then adds more weaknesses to your deck. I think it's just an example of the flexibility of when you take some of the deck building back onto the game and the game's adding cards to your deck. Mm. So a big bomb card could be a kind of something like a flare or a warning shot. I know that those are both cards, but something that makes a huge noise to give you an immediate impact about finding clues, but also puts, you know, draws attention, which would add things yeah, to your yeah. deck. Is that, is that sort of exactly, what you Exactly, yeah. The, the example I thought of would be like a, a bank loan, which it g- gives you okay, a load of yeah. money, but then the repayment cards are added to your deck and they take up resources when they appear. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, cost, costs, yes. you know, one or two to put into play, gives you 10 resources, but every time you draw one of the repayments, you lose three resources. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So you have that immediate boon. Maybe lose three resources if you don't have three to lose, take a damage. So, yeah, it says the... <laughs> when they send the goons around. Yeah. But, but I think that, that just, although, you know, this is all pure speculation, but it highlights the, yeah. the flexibility of when you consider bad cards can be on your deck and the game can add bad cards to your deck. It's, it's a really flexible system and it's really flavorful as well. I like it. Cool. I like it too. That's a great thing to end on. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode, listener. Let us know which your your favourite or least favourite, the most impactful or least impactful weaknesses. And you can email us. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Patreon, designed by humans for all your t-shirt needs. We're on Facebook and Twitter. 
Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter and uh, Discord and Reddit and various places. So say hello. Uh, Frank, how about you? I'm FB on Twitter. That's E-P-H underscore B-E-E. And I'm around the places Zoe Glass or Zozo. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.